Well, hello there, and thank you for tuning in to the Shameless Sex Podcast. I'm Amy, sex educator, somatic sex and relationship coach, and sex shop owner. And I'm April, VP of an international high-end pleasure product company and boss queen sex toy mogul. We're best friends who make our own rules about who we are as sexual beings. With everything from how to be a badass in the bedroom, to pussy praising, to top tips for bringing your relationship to the next level, we have something just for you. So sit back, relax, and and enjoy enjoy the show. Don't forget to head on over to our website at shamelesssex.com for more. And for 15% off of some of our favorite sex toys, use coupon code SHAMELESSPP in all caps at purepleasureshop.com. Well, hello there, everyone. Hey, y'all. We are live from Salt Lake City again. I know. We love Salt Lake City, and Salt Lake City loves us. They re- Wait, did we record in Salt Lake City? We have. Okay. Last In May, when we were here in May. They really love, we had like fans last night when we were out at, a, we went to a, a Christmas party and people kept coming up to us being like, we listen to your podcast, we love you, we didn't know you were going to be here in person. Yeah, we love you fans. Yeah, we went to a holiday party for a wonderful store called Blue Boutique, which we'll be doing some plugs for Blue Boutique later on in future episodes, uh, but we had a really fun time. And Amy was pitching all the Mormon taxi drivers. I don't know if they were Mormon, but they were like, she's like, do you know about shameless sex when we were driving in the Uber? I was like... Nice, Amy. Nice plug. Yeah, I don't know how much they like me, but it's cool. Trying to share the good word of shameless sex. So this episode, we're going to kind of go all over the place here, but we have another guest. We have so many guests, and it's so exciting. This guest is extra special. I think all guests are extra special, but this one's extra, extra special because this is a really special human that I love dearly. Um, But before I intro them... I would like to announce that we're doing a survey, and the survey is very important to us because we want to know who we are speaking to. We kind of have an idea, um, but we want to know who you are, where you're from, how you found us, your age, etc., etc. So we created this survey. It's completely anonymous. In fact, the survey won't even ask you for your email address or your name, and it should take around five minutes. It's on our website. So if you go to shamelesssex.com, on the homepage, it says... Are you a listener? Take a survey here. We would love if you would do this for us. If you are a fan and you truly love us, please go and take the survey on our website, shamelesssex.com. Shouldn't take you much time. And that way we can know who we're talking to and then we could speak to you in a more efficient way. Uh, and there's a coupon code at the end. If you do the survey, you get 25% off at Pure Pleasure. Um, at purepleasureshop.com. So if you complete the survey, it'll give you a confirmation screen with with that coupon code. So there's a little gift there as well. But even if you don't want to go shopping at Pure Pleasure, please do the survey if you're a listener because that will really, 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 really help us because we have no idea how else to figure out who you are. And we have two other pieces of news. The first one is we have five stars on iTunes and 40 reviews. If you could be so kind, write us a review on iTunes. It helps kind of build our profile and get us out there and remember this is a passion project for us we don't get paid we just want to give you the information and the second bit of news is we're now on spotify so if you have folks that aren't in itunes that you know would benefit from shameless sex give them the spotify info or if they don't like spotify we have google play what else do we have all the things all of them (laughs) youtube youtube yeah we're gonna have a youtube channel so you can see amy and i in person if you want to yeah personally on video she looks real good <laughs> i put on makeup for all the things all the things she's she's pretty she's pretty good she's ripped too oh by the way last night at the party they had a stripper pole 
And April is not your average stripper dancer. <laughs> what she does is she puts her hands up on the pole. And then, how do you, what do you do? Tell us what you do. It's really I bad. call it the winds blowing in from the west. So I just basically leverage my arms and stick my legs straight out. And then I kick my legs around. Basically like a flagpole dance. <laughs> She's just flexing her muscles and everyone's like, what? And when I really party, ripped. I do it on tall humans. <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah, that's, I've seen her do that. Usually it's a fail, but she tries. <laughs> she tries her best. Okay, so ahem, let's dive on in. So we have this really, really special guest, as I said. And this is a dear friend of mine who um, I met a long time ago, once upon a time. <laughs> Can I tell how I met? I met him in a unicorn costume. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there he is. Cory Caprista. Remember I called you Caprista? Cory Caprista. <laughs> hola, hola. Hola. So Cory is a human performance coach. And he also did the Somatica Sex and Relationship Coaching Training with me. Um, and so he has, and he has done many things, but Corey, tell us about you. What is a human performance coach? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a great question. Cause that title, what does that even mean? Right? Yeah. Um, well, the idea is that what I do is help people perform better in the areas of life that are important to them. And what that ends up being for me is I spend my time working on two key areas. You could break out life into basically four areas of focus. If you wanted to be really simple, you think about work love, family, and play. And so I really focus on work and then the love area. So I do a lot of executive coaching and um, corporate performance coaching with people who want to be better managers, better um, uh, executives, uh, make their companies and organizations run better, get that promotion, switch careers. Um, and then I also do a similar thing with people looking for, um, you know, having, looking to have a better love life. Uh, and the idea is basically people need to have clear dreams that are inspiring to them. And then they need to figure out how to actually realize those dreams. And we all have our own things that are we're really good at and our own things that we're really challenged by. So in the area of love, for example, it's like, well, what kind of relationships do you want? And what is stopping you from getting there? And a human performance coach, as, as you just uh, named, it's just someone who comes in with you and could help understand who you are what you're doing and ways to get you to where you want to go easier, faster, better. So that's, that's what I do at the highest, highest level. I get, I have the sort of, um, the luck of working with the top corporations in technology industry, uh, in San Francisco and here in LA, sort of like Silicon Valley and then Silicon beach down here, and then, um, get to work with some amazing people, uh, in their love lives as well on the more uh, personal side. It's just kind of funny that those two things don't tend to go together. You know, people in the corporate world don't want to talk about their love life. And when you think about love life, you're like, I don't want to talk about work, but it's shocking how much is similar, um, in terms of what people struggle with. It's like, there's a saying, how you do anything is how you do everything. And I really do find that. So sometimes I'll start coaching someone in the corporate world and we'll end up talking about their love life or we'll talk about someone's love life and then end up uh, talking about how they're struggling in the same areas of work. Because, you know, number one area of any relationship and really work and love is based on relationships is communication. So that's sort of the thread that um, goes between all of them. And I find that some of the same tools really help people in different areas. You can just get a little bit more uh, naughty and and real sometimes when you're coaching someone privately on their love life than you can when you're uh, doing a workshop of uh, 20 people in corporate America. I always hate that, um, that I hear this from people where they're like, if your work life is going well, your personal life suffers and then vice versa. If your personal life's going well, I've always tried to beat that scenario. Is that like something that 
you can help with? Can you help me with that, Corey? Can you help me with the balance? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Are you, yeah, people, Pete, the sort of idea of like work-life balance is like this term we all talk about. It's kind of a myth. I mean, there are trade-offs, right? Like you only have a certain amount of time and uh, energy and focus, but I tend to find that the people that are good at having clear visions and dreams about communicating those, those visions and dreams, about acting on their commitments, upholding their commitments, um, going towards and realizing vision, it kind of plays in both. People have tend to have um, uh, the same skills in, in work and love. Some people just don't understand how to transfer those things. So there is sometimes like work life's going well, but I don't know how to actually bring the skills that I'm good at in the work area to my personal life or vice versa. So sometimes there's blockers, but I, I don't think that, I think that's a definitely a myth that you can't have both going well. I agree. And I'm trying to fight that myth all the time. <laughs> I'm like, my work life's going awesome. And so is my personal life. I'm trying. I, I, it is, it is, it's a job. It's about communication. And you mentioned radical honesty when we were first talking to you. And that's something that I also try to practice. And I think Amy, you do as well, sometimes to a fault, right? <laughs> and that's probably helping with, the, does that help with the, um, the communication in, in the corporate world? A hundred percent. I mean, radical honesty is at the basis of uh, success, I think, in um, every area of life. And the biggest thing there is you have to be honest with yourself first. And I think that radical honesty with what you want, who you are, that's that's like the key. And then it can flow outward to others and it needs to flow outward to others. Um, but absolutely radical honesty is is the foundation because people have a, it's painful to look inside sometimes. I'm sure you you ladies have found that in doing your own work or working with clients, either in going deep in yourself or helping other people get really honest, how it can be really challenging to do it. It's not so, it's simple, but not so easy. So how do you, how do you define radical honesty for our listeners if they've never heard of that term? What is radical honesty? Yeah, radical honesty to me means um, being honest um, in ways that are going to be uncomfortable and stretch you. Mm -hmm. So there's sort of like the honesty we're all sort of... Um, willing to have <laughs> at, at baseline, but kind of claiming an identity or a commitment to radical honesty means pushing yourself to ask yourself what would being radical, radically honest look like in this moment, in this situation. So one example of that would be like, if you're you know, in, on a date with someone and you want to you know, move it to the next level, um, sort of the next phase, are you willing to be, or what would be the way you would actually share what you actually want, what you're actually thinking, feeling, what would be radically honest, actually sharing with them what your sort of your intentions are rather than trying to just manage them or manipulate them into wanting what you want. So that would be one example of like asking yourself, what would radically honest be? So it's sort of like an ongoing inquiry and more of like a, a commitment or an identity to take on. Um, and usually it means being getting uncomfortable. <laughs> And would there also then in that radical honesty in the in the dating world that you're talking about, um, not only sharing what your intentions are, but would another piece be sharing the the feelings behind it? So maybe my intentions are, um, I think you're really attractive and I'd love to play with you, have sex with you. But then there's the, the deeper feeling piece of and um, I'm feeling fear in asking you this and you know, add, adding that piece on in experiencing like explaining the somatic piece. Is that a part of radical honesty? You know, it's, it's such a, uh, this is why it's fun to be a coach with people is like you kind of come up with these, these high level, uh, frameworks and then you have them actually just practice being radically honest with you, like in a role play scenario. And then you can see where the, uh, <laughs> where the challenges are. I would, so one thing that's really key about radically radical honesty is 
it, it's simple, but it's not necessarily easy because the key of it is being eloquent. So having grace in your communication and eloquence does matter. So sometimes when we think we're being radically honest, what we're, what we're actually doing is sharing our lowest self, our big, our fears, our anxieties. And that is actually puts a lot of burden on the other person um, to, to create space for that and be able to process that and keep it sexy and playful. So <clears throat> sometimes it's good to share that. But my, my question for you or for anyone that would be in that moment is, are you sharing that from your highest self or is that your lowest self you're allowing to sort of um, to be your voice in that moment? And my my sort of question for people is, are you keeping it playful? Like, you know, if we're talking about what you want, you know, I want to be sexy or, hey, I really love you and I'm really interested in like taking this relationship to the next level and sort of being more um, committed to each other. Are you taking that into too much seriousness or are you taking that into not enough seriousness? And, and the question for me is like, is it staying playful and fun or is it starting to really drag and get really heavy? Have you ever experienced that, Amy, in, in your... I mean, I'm playful as fuck. So <laughs> <laughs> and so is April. But I, would, but I, know, so I know some people that have a hard time tapping into play. And, yeah. you know, the, the, then whether it's something that they shamed out of themselves in the past because play felt unsafe or you know once they went into adulthood they there was the idea that you're not supposed to have this lightness or this sense of play too so do you have any tips on how one could perhaps add a sense of play or lightness to their communication to their relationships and connection yeah i would say the first piece is for people to start practicing what feels fun for them every day so mm, like, like learning how to live a life of fun and play so that you know inside when you're feeling like something is fun and playful or when you're doing it out of obligation or should or anxiety. So that's really going to help. And I think some people, especially in love, and I am one of these people. So one, one part of my story is um, the, one of the reasons I became so interested in this world of performance coaching in the love in the love space is that um, and, and in the workspace, honestly, was that I had really painful negative work experiences and I had really painful negative um, love experiences or sex experiences and it the pain I was always obsessed with relationships and girls and, and wanting to figure that world out but I wasn't always uh, didn't always do it very well so um, part of my challenge with that was using playful what I was calling playfulness um, was actually a negative experience for me and the other person because it was actually me trying to make jokes be, to cut the my anxiety. Mm. So oh, I, April! I can... suffer from this, Corey. <laughs> Do you? <laughs> oh, for sure. <laughs> it's like my it's my it, it's my trigger. When I get triggered, I turn it into a joke. I'm getting better. I'm I've been working really hard to be conscious of it because it was it it comes from my um my childhood for sure. That's how my family deals with everything. If something's stressful, it's like a joke. Like, I've laughed at a funeral. It's not cool. <laughs> and not because I was happy. I was just didn't know what else to do Well, with in, my pain. In the world of flirting, too, I've had some clients in the past who um, who wanted their partner to, you know, the way that their partner was even just hitting on them, their partner that they were in love with and that they had been with for many months or a year or so, um, their partner didn't know how to initiate without going into this little kid space, like this young person space that was like kind of pinchy and tickly and that just wasn't so and it wasn't sexy it wasn't eluding this 
or exuding, exuding this um, adult confidence. And so there's a big distinction between like what you're talking about, you know, the uh, added sense of play and a insecure sense of um, play as well. I think that that's a good distinction. Yeah, I think that that is a defense mechanism for a lot of people, including me. That's when I'm really not grounded or feeling super uncomfortable. I'll like make a joke and I can now that I've been practicing this long enough, I can feel when I'm starting to make jokes out of anxiety to cut the tension versus out of play and playfulness. You can be like part of being playful doesn't mean necessarily being silly and goofy, although it can include that. But you can be being playful with being sort of like that debonair character, mm. right? Putting on that character where you're you're being smooth and you're saying the right words and you got the wink going and you're and you're really going into that sort of um, uh, that space. Or maybe you're being a little bit more um, in your animal, like you got that leopard vibe. You know, you're kind of stalking, <laughs> and you know that you're doing it, and they know that you're doing it in a way, but even embodying that, if you do it with confidence, it can be playful, but it actually works. Um, and so I think for people, what I, what I tend to try to do with them when it comes to playfulness is have them feel the play out in the session or when you meet someone and see what are the areas where it feels really good to play with them, even just in talking or when, when do they doing it out of, out of nervousness? And then the goal is to expand someone's range of play so that actually you can be playful in many more situations where before you didn't or you, were, or you weren't able to. You didn't have access to that. So we try to give them way more range um, on, on all the, the areas so it can stay playful and fun while not being stuck in one gear of like that goofy um, sort of like tickly pinchy, which we see a lot of with especially with nice guys. That mm, wanted the to nice be nice guys. We love our nice guys. <laughs> they're the best. They have the best <laughs> intentions and they're the most interesting people. <laughs> now, what do you mean by interesting? <laughs> We've been trying to dissect interesting. Like everyone uses interesting for everything. Sometimes people are like, you interesting choice of shoes you're wearing. Like that means that you don't like my shoes. So, but yes, I think that you're saying intriguing in this context. Well, I would even say one thing that I I think that is um, really important when it comes to radical honesty is some people actually have a hard time with radical honesty because what they're be, they're sharing is a self that is underdeveloped. Mm. Oh, so if yeah. you're not at a place where you're interesting, mature, secure, or loving, like you haven't done that work, there's something blocking that. Like there's some character you're playing or defense mechanism of like maybe being too smooth or like too cool for school. Um, and what you would actually be sharing is kind of your lower self, then you might need to actually go and do the freaking work on yourself. How does one do the work? I mean, that is, that's a lifetime. They thing, call you. Think, <laughs> they call me, exactly, or you too. Yes, but I, too, think, yeah. <laughs> I think it's finding, just looking at what really doing an, um, an autopsy or an audit of what experiences are you actually having? How are you showing up? What are you saying or not saying? Um, I know one thing for me I found was, I, one key like negative trait that jumped out for me was I was using a lot of negative or I was using a lot of like um, middle school locker room talk to talk about sexuality because that's how I had learned to talk about sex when I was in like middle school because I wasn't having any and I wanted to seem cool. And so I had this sort of like very boyish, um, you know, almost jock style communication around, around sex, even though I had matured my sexual perspective, my language hadn't. So I had to go do the work to start becoming more sophisticated in how I talked about it because I basically sounded like a disgusting like bro. And so for every person, like what is your area you need to, areas you need to do the work on? 
But if you're interesting and you've done the work, but you're just anxious or fearful or not confident, that's where we talk about just translating who you are out. But some people actually need to go back and do a little more foundational work so that what you're sharing is actually something of greater substance um, that people are really going to want to connect with. So it, it, it sounds like it's a lot of work on uh, worthiness in general. Mm-hmm. You know, the not enoughness, the too muchness, um, and all the the stories and the shame that comes along with with that. A lot of I've been thinking. I'm thinking a lot of Brene Brown right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, I have one question for you in regards to radical honesty that I've always um, kind of wondered about. So. Uh, Esther Perel, you know Esther Perel's work, she wrote Mating in Captivity and has a lot of really wonderful uh, TED Talks and she does a lot on infidelity and cheating uh, and she also talks about long-term relationships and how one of the things that kills desire, well there's two things that kill desire and connection, is this idea of attachment and individuation. So when we're with our, when we're partnered, if we attach too heavily, meaning we're always by each other's side and we don't have any of our own personal life or any, um, any, any sense of separateness, that can kill desire because we just start to habituate to each other. We have less to share because there's always together. And then on the other side of the spectrum is the individuation piece. Um, so if one was to, or if, if partners would have completely separate lives where they actually didn't connect a lot, or didn't share very much at all, that one too would kill desire because it would kill connection. So she requ- re- she talks about this this balance between the two, this perfect balance of separateness and togetherness, and to kind of uphold and keep the fire burning and the connection burn and the connection going. Now, my question with radical honesty and how this plays into relationship, uh, what and what your opinion is? Because Esther Perel suggests that we actually shouldn't share everything with our partner, that we should have some mystery. Now, this isn't like secrets and lies and all that stuff. I'm talking about just some stuff that's ours. And she says that that's actually in her opinion. And I'm not, this probably isn't an exact quote of how she says it, but my interpretation of what she says is that this is an important component of um, connection and relationship is to have some of that, that this is mine and I'm going to keep this for myself to keep that um, connection, kind of keep a little mystery there, I guess. What do you, how does radical honesty play into that? Because I do know some folks who like to practice radical honesty in relationship, meaning we tell each other we're honest about everything. That's what I do. And it's the opposite of what I did before, but, or do you even agree with that, Corey? Yeah, that I think that this is a huge, huge area um, to go deep on. So, so, so glad you brought it up. Radical honesty, from my perspective, does not mean telling everyone everything on your mind all the time. That would be exhausting. <laughs> it's exhausting, and it leaves no room for mystery, and it kills the. There's like a vibe or a flow that happens, and I had a his. I have a history of being an overtalker and oversharer where I want to share everything on my mind and talk out a situation till it's dead. And what happens is it's dead at the end. And so what I coach people towards and what I would say is absolutely say radical honesty means saying what needs to be said or saying the thing that needs to sort of take the situation to the next level um, or to open up um, a certain space with someone. But it's also knowing when to stop knowing when to shut up, knowing when to let the air into the situation, let it breathe. And I, I see a lot of over-talkers 
who are they're orienting towards intimacy they think that's the way that they're going to connect that's the way that they uh, um they show that they're a safe partner for people and i think i especially see that at the beginning of relationships um and especially when it comes to trying for people out there dating and wanting to sort of move the connection from sort of getting to know you to the the you know sort of the more intimate space to the making out and then all the way through sort of the what i call like rounding the bases right like we we don't want to necessarily just round the bases from you know to first second third home as fast as possible but at some point we we tend to round the bases at some point but so that communication around that people tend to share too much and it you you don't want to take the shine off yourself right at the start you do want to let people know who you are and be clear about that because there can be less heartbreak later because if people project all over each other at the beginning, but if you tell too much, it's just going to kill it mm-hmm. and, and not give it a chance to actually to live. But April, I'm interested to hear you're sort of, you've moved from less sharing to more sharing. Um, so I don't, I wonder what you're, I'm interested in what your path has been in that. Well, previous relationships in my, in my, with my um, ex-husband, I tended things that were, bothersome to me or things that I was insecure about, I would just be like, I need to get over it. It's, it's okay. Like, I'm fine with this. I'm fine with this. Um, and it ended up eventually, um, it wasn't the demise of our relationship, but it, it was a, it would build up inside of me. And it ended up just causing me a lot of pain because they were things that we probably could have worked through. Um, but instead I just decided that I needed to, to get over it. And, and it, it was various things of all different ends of the spectrum. Um, and of course there were cultural differences and, but things that I, I probably now being the April I am in this period of my life, I would definitely communicate, um, much better in that part. Now, I think that sometimes my partner is like, you are, um, over communicating sometimes. And I feel like I want to find a better balance of my previous way to communicate with my partner and the, and the new way, just because I'm, I'm trying to get in touch with my vulnerabilities and I'm, and I'm trying to feel safe. So I constantly um, share my insecurities. And sometimes I think um, I can get better with the way I share. That's what I'm, um, I'm working on right now. And I was telling Amy the other day, I, I was trying to communicate something and I ended up telling my partner that I need to lower my expectations of him. And I was like, whoa, whoa, wait a second. That's not what I meant. And he was like, what, what do you mean by this? So anyway, um, I feel like I, I need to get more in balance with how I communicate and, and not overshare because as I mean, Amy, Amy says you and I are, are very much alike and I still get over talk and overshare. So, um, but that's part of, I think the beauty in, in, um, this podcast, because I am shameless about my life and, and, and open, but in my relationship, I do want to find that again, that middle ground where I don't over communicate. Yeah, the, the metaphor I have around this is sort of like you you if you're like uh, looking for oil and I'm not an oil person. So I'm probably someone if anyone's out there is like in the oil industry, they're probably going to like be like, no, this is not a good metaphor. But this is the way <laughs> I think about it. It's like you're digging like holes and you're looking to strike oil. And my, my thought is you got to dig holes. But once you strike the oil in the conversation, let that that like flow and, and go and don't keep digging deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. You're going to get yourself covered in oil <laughs> afterwards. That's, oh, that's a wonderful analogy. <laughs> I love it. And I hate oil. <laughs> yeah. So so it's like radical honesty to me means making sure you say what needs to be said, but you don't say more than you need to. And every conversation is going to have a different depth you need to dig. You might find in one conversation around one area, let's say it's, you know, um, uh, 
let's say you're in sort of an open relationship and you need to bring up, um, you know, time spent, you know, how the, your partner is balancing their time between you and um, another partner. Well, you need to dig there. That that might be digging a little bit deeper um, and it might take a little bit longer to get through that conversation versus a conversation around like um, how someone texts you to make plans. Hey, the way that you're texting me makes me feel like you're not as into the plans as me. And for the other person, I mean, that's how they text, right? Mm-hmm. That conversation might not need to go as deep. Um, and so it's feeling out when have you gotten to that, that like the gold, the black gold, as it were, if we're talking about oil. Mm-hmm. And when could we then um, sort of, uh, I talk about like flowing into that conversation and then flowing back out of it. And that's the playfulness having the conversation as long as the energy's there and it feels like it's productive and knowing when to sort of roll back out of it before it starts really draining and dragging people down. So that's one key. Right. And I think this is something that I've, I've realized slowly. I mean, I'm in a newer relationship for sure, but um, I'm realizing, as you said, there's a time, like I don't need to keep and sometimes it's good to walk away from something and come back to it and reprocess it. And that's, I think, a beautiful synergy involved in that process. But I'm, I'm working on that. And I, and I love your analogy, Corey. I think the oil, I'm going to think about this next time. I'm like, okay, I think I struck the oil I'm looking for. I'm good now. Let's move on. Yeah. And I think the other thing that you said, the, the, the second thought that came up is uh, one, asking yourself, am I sharing my anxiety or my hurt from a place of um, strength and vulnerability, or am I sharing it from a place of anxiety and hurt? Mm. And sometimes it, you can share the same thing. It's the same conversation, the same topic, but not embodying the anxiety or the hurt allows it to be a more productive conversation because you're in your place of vulnerability and strength and you can talk about it rather than being in it at the time. Because when you, one thing I found, because I'm more, if we're similar, April, as a very anxious person in my past and I'm working through my anxiety, our anxiety is exhausting on the people around us. Mm-hmm. It really is. And so there's a level of being supported by the people in your life and there's an, a level of self-management that we need to take on responsibility for so we don't burn out people with our anxieties. Because we don't want to just be and live our anxieties. We do want to talk about them and deal with them. But man, if we're in that all the time, people just get, they just wear them out. Yeah. And so what, what, what comes to mind for me, if I were working with a client and trying to educate them on how to convey their, um, their fears and anxiety, or, well, not anxiety, but just we'll say fears from a empowered place. Um, and maybe you have different advice too, but mine would be to, before you just share that I'm, I'm terrified, I'm scared, I'm fearful to actually sit with it for a little bit, not too long. Don't go hide under a rock for eight days and let it build. And so that you explode and go into a worse, worse place than you were to start, but to really sit with it and feel into it and to understand it and write about it and breathe into it and dissect it and, and figure out what it is, where it's coming from. And most likely it's just coming from past stuff. That's yours, you know, your own stuff getting clear on that, um, finding out what it is that you need in those moments, what is it that you're designing and what you're looking for, and then once you feel strong in that, conveying it from that place. Do you, and I'm wondering if you have some other tips on how one would be able to convey their fear in a empowered space versus their lower self space. Yeah, Amy, I think that you um, you nailed it. I think that's part of the reason that it's so important to spend some time with it. And I would, I'm just going to add on and say, specificity of language is power specificity of language is power in this world 
And so if you are not able to be specific in what you're thinking, feeling, what you want, um, then you are, you're disempowering yourself and the conversation. So a lot of times what I would say is that time where you're sitting with it and journaling and meditating on it or just feeling into it, it gives you an opportunity to be specific with your language. And that gives your partner better access into what you're actually, what's actually going on. And then there's a lot less collateral damage as you, as you interact on that. Because what you say does have a charge to it. It does matter. So one of the things we like to work on with clients or with people is helping them be more specific and helping them notice areas where they're not being specific um, to actually what they really feel. And they're using words that actually are damaging or hurtful in some way. They're triggering things, bringing things up that actually aren't productive. They're actually not in alignment with what what they want to talk about. And um, one example of that is, so, uh, you know, when I'm in a, uh, you know, uh, like a, a sexual dynamic with someone, so we're in a sexual experience, there are times where I'm not feeling fully there. Like I've actually like gone away mentally or my body is actually not, um, uh, turned on. Right. Mm-hmm. So those two things happen quite a bit. And it's, I think those are very normal, but in the past I would use language, for example, that's like, Oh, I'm, I'm not turned on right now. Mm. or I'm not really here with you right now. And those have been very, it really makes people contract. And so two words that are actually more specific and I think have a better power to them are I say now, I'm not feeling, if I'm not turned on, instead of turned on, because that has so much social connotation to it, mm-hmm. cultural yeah, connotation. Like finger, like something about the other person. Yeah, like you don't turn me on. People always wonder, am I turning my partner on? Am I, am I sexy enough? I use the word um, activated. Mm. And my body is not feeling activated right now. Mm. So it's less about, I'm like reporting something that we can both work on together rather than it feeling like it's finger pointing. Or I'll, I'll tell someone if I'm not fully there, I say, I'm having a hard time being present right now. Yeah, I use and that one. I, I definitely use that one. And yeah. the good old spanking knocks me back in place. <laughs> I'm not present right now. Smack. All right. I'm here. Here I am. Yeah. You little hair pole. Okay, cool. <laughs> hello, Dolly. Yeah, hello. <laughs> consensual, though, everyone. It was consensual. I wanted that spanking. <laughs> yeah, no, I think I think those are, um, that's important. The the power of, the, of our words. And, and then here's the balance, though. We don't want to be in our heads and constantly walking in eggshells. Am I saying the right thing? Am I saying it perfectly? And it just, it seems like the message here really is to slow down so that we can speak with more intention and have more awareness of where things are coming from and speak from that place, as opposed to just being reactive, you know, word vomit. I'm feeling this and then, you know, I want this. You know, it really takes that slowing down, which April and I are both trying to do with our speech in general. <laughs> it's so hard. We are so excited. <laughs> <laughs> that makes three of us. I know. You're, yeah. yeah, you're like, it's Corey. Everyone, I just want to let you all know that Corey's kind of the male version of of us <laughs> uh, and it's yeah he's he's uh if we had a third person to do the podcast with us it would probably be Corey. <laughs> <laughs> there's no higher compliment than i could receive than that <laughs> yeah yeah it's, you, it's good stuff you're, you're yeah amazing. i think that i think that what you're saying is important i think truth it comes quickly but it moves a little slower than than our anxious brain sometimes or our fear mind um or even our excitement mind can move so fast that we that it kind of bullies or bulldozes over the little bit slower truth. So like you said, it doesn't mean like obsessing over the words forever or taking eight days to go into your shell. It's just slowing down a little bit. Even if it's in the moment taking an extra three or four or five seconds 
to feel, okay, I feel what I'm feeling. What is that actually about? What does it actually mean? Um, or it could be taking a couple hours before you talk to your partner. Um, so it's just that little bit of time to check in with yourself and l- feel into that sort of the truth that lives a little bit more in your chest and your belly than the one that's running through your head. Cause our mind can play tricks on us so easily. Um, and then it, it does a lot of damage really quickly before we're like, Oh shit, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> yeah. You can't, sometimes you say things, you can't take it back. And then and it's, I always create the stories of like what's not happening in my head. I'm like creating all sorts of stories. And then I'm like, wait, that is, that's a story. Let's, Focus on what's actually happening. Mm. You talk about the stories, Amy, all the time. Yeah, like, that's a always... good story yeah. you're telling yourself. <laughs> yeah, see, you you telling your stories over there. Let's talk about Let's this before you create your stories. Yeah, it's it's uh it's the funny the way the mind works. That thing is that thing is always throwing me for a loop, creating with elaborate things. I want to I was I want to just I feel like there's a little level of clarity that we can give our listeners here, um, on because some people might be like, okay, so. What can I share and what can't I share? You know, what should I share and what shouldn't I share? And to be a little more clear in that, um, when I was talking about Esther Perel and what she's suggesting, again, it's not uh, a withholding of yourself. Um, it's it's not I'm gonna, going to keep this this a secret because um, I want to hide this from my partner. It's um, kind of I want to say like not picking your battles because that sounds like that's all about arguments, but. Um, being more selective and more refined in what you share and not feeling like you have to throw everything else on the table. Um, one thing I'll share that's that's personal for myself is, so my partner, when we would um, not see each other, for, even if it's just for a day, and we would get together at the end of the day, he, he used to do this thing where he would tell me every single thing that happened in like a play-by-play of his, of his life, of, of that day or those last, the last couple days. I did this, and I went this, and I saw this first, and we did this, and this, 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 this. Um, you know, for me, I always felt, to a certain degree, that I was curious, I was very interested, and I felt like it was a little bit of an unloading, and um, I wanted to know a lot of what he was doing, and it just felt like a lot of information for me to take in. And it was just kind of the, it was the things. I went here, I saw this person, this person said this. It didn't have all the, you know, the, what, I w- what I was wanting was the feelings, you know, the emotions, the, the stuff that comes from the simple question of, of how, like, how are you or how was your day, but in a more, um, in, a, in a deeper way, not just, it was good, it was cool. Um, so I, I think that it's, it's just, it's a, it's a different degree of, being more refined in what we share with our partner. What what are the nuggets here? Kind of like when in ceremony, right? <laughs> when I go to ceremony and we do share circles at the end, and everyone gets to go around and share what they just you know what they just experienced in their twenty four hours of work in that ceremony. I'm specifically talking about with ayahuasca work and. Some people who are new, they just share. So then I went this, and then I saw this, and then this guy was here in my vision, and, and they share for forty five minutes. That's. I mean, that's, that's your, you're just talking to people as if they're your journal and they're not, you know, your partner isn't, your friend isn't, your, your colleague is not there for you to just like spout off everything that is on your mind. What they want to hear and what they want to know are the nuggets. Like what, what's really important to you? What is moving you? What's, what's, what's really happening for you here? And not just the, not just the play by play. And, um, I guess, I don't know if you have more that you want to add to that, Corey, but, uh, feeling more like, like that's, that's kind of what I was trying to convey with what Esther Perel was saying. I, I think you nailed it. 
people, your people don't stop wanting to be delighted in their day and in their life because they become your partner. Mm. And so the unloading, like emptying your clip and your full arsenal on someone to like be complete and, and do that. It's, it's too much, I think. And, and um, what I think Esther Perel is really getting at and what you're getting at, I'll go back to playfulness. It's about cultivating a dynamic that feels fun and playful and sexy and having those, it's focused on the nuggets and the delightful things, telling the story or the key emotion, something that's going to be energizing or delightful. That's what you got to focus on because people want your best. And I think I used, I know I used to be that unloader because I thought that's what you were supposed to do. People like, how was your day? And I would just be like, oh, I guess I'm supposed to tell them everything. Um, That's what intimacy means. That's what real connection means. And I would be in the middle of doing it and I'd be exhausting myself. I'd be bored with myself. So if you ever catch yourself kind of bored or exhausted with yourself, just stop right there (laughs) and pivot. And I think some people notice that they're going on too long and they'll be like, oh, I'm sorry for telling you such a long story. And the other other people usually won't tell you like to stop or that you're that you're like boring them or you're exhausting them. They'll just often move away or the energy in your dynamic will start to wane. Like you have to pay attention to people's signals because it's really hard to tell people things like that. So pe- people often won't tell you or they'll tell you in a subtle way. So it's really up for you to pick to know what your dream or your vision is. And that's where a lot of people fail, I think, is they don't have a clear vision of what they're aiming at. Yeah. And I think what you're saying, you Amy, is... social cues, too. Yes. Sorry, well, go ahead. Well, that's... I think we talked about this, the different levels of listening, too. I think this is a good little, good little segue of that, too, because social cues are a part of that is... You know, if we're doing level one listening, I'm just hearing what you're saying and relating it to my own personal story. And if I'm a level two listener, I'm really hearing what you're saying and actually connecting with you and and engaging with you. And then level three would be I'm actually reading your body language and also not only hearing the words that you're saying, but picking up on the emotions behind it and, um, you know, having, you know, empathizing with that part of you. And most people aren't they going, most people are hanging out one (laughs) most of the time and Mm -hmm. going back from one to two. And, um, and once we can learn to, to recognize, I mean, that's what I do these days when I'm listening to someone and I hear my own stories in my head, I, I tell in my head, I'm like, I am in love. I'm stuck in level one listening right now. And uh, just bringing that awareness to it can pull me out of it. And I can step into level two and really hear that person. And then hopefully level three and pay attention to what's going on there. So I can be aware, um, is this too much information? Are we connected? Are they genuinely interested? Or is this a topic that is feeling um, a little too edgy for them or whatever it is. It just is a different form of awareness. It's so important. And I think some people it's getting a little bit more on like the uh, mindfulness of like what you're currently doing. I think that's why any kind of mindfulness practice, whether it's meditation or yoga um, or sometimes psychedelics um, for people can, can really work, but getting some distance between the subject and the object, meaning the subject being your consciousness and the object being objects being your thoughts, your feelings, your sensations, your ideas, your stories, so that you're not completely collapsed with those things. And you can actually pick and choose from the flow of thoughts and emotions and sensations to share rather than thinking that you are those things. You are not those things. You experience those things. You can see those things. So people that I think can get some distance on that, they can watch themselves a little bit and like adjust rather than being like, this is just who I am. 
This is all really useful. I know our listeners love hearing about relationships. And uh, the, I think the listening, I don't know if we have any references for listening, but um, that, I think that is a really key point for people to take home with them. If, you, if you've ever been told that you are not a great listener, pay attention to that. <laughs> and also tap into the social cues. Like I've always been good at that when I know I'm talking too much. I'm like, oh, I'm losing, I'm losing, I'm losing. <laughs> I'm like, okay, just stop, just stop. Let's take a minute. Yeah, yeah, just yeah, being, bringing some more awareness and slowing down and, and, and it's a practice. A it's all a practice. Yeah, you can always ask questions too. That's a good point of, um, is, are you enjoying this conversation? Is, is this something you're interested in talking about? Because we can Would change Would you like the me to stop? Yes. Do you relate, when you talked about the four components of your work and like it was love, work, um, obviously, what were the other two? Family and play. Family and play. Do you, do you filter sex into like the love or the play part of that equation? I think it can be both, but I think most people, sex will fall into the love. It's pretty, it's pretty foundational and it's, it goes into that love category pretty deeply. Okay. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's a fifth one. Ooh, maybe it's its own thing. Sexa. Sexa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I definitely put the A at the end when I write it out for my clients. Awesome, I like it. <laughs> so I want to ask you a question, a personal question. It's not going to be too personal, not like like asking you about the, the sex that you've been having or any of that jazz. But um, I, I think our listeners, they've enjoyed past episodes when men have talked about their journey to be a, a better partner, better lover, um, you know, the, and, and I'm, I'm curious if you have any tips of what's really, really helped you on uh, your journey to be the best, most awesome uh, sexual self or or a person or, you know, person to show up for your for your partners that you um, whether it's in a casual relationship or a, a deep relationship. Um, do you have any tips for our listeners of what has served you in your yeah. journey? Yeah, I, I have a lots of thoughts on this, but I'll start with um, understanding gender dynamics. Um, and I think that this is a, this is a very hot topic. It's kind of a loaded topic, but it's worth speaking about. Um, it's the thing that probably changed my interactions um, the most. And when we talk, talk about gender um, uh, dynamics or um, gender energy. It's not about sex. So you can be a woman and be more of a masculine energy. Um, you know, you could be uh, a man and be more feminine. Uh, that's totally fine. But it's like, what are at the core are these masculine and feminine energies? Masculine is sort of the the thing that is um, going towards. Often, it is the one uh, action. It has the vision. It's driving. Forward, it's the penetrator in a way, um, both maybe uh, literally, but also energetically. You're sort of coming at and penetrating. And the feminine energy is receptive. It's opening. It's expressive radiance, and it's it's receiving. So that gen the the dynamics between masculine and feminine. If you've never played with those, or you you have heard a little bit, but you haven't gone deep, I think that can make a huge difference. And um, you know. David Dita, or Data, as I think how you say it, um, has a book called The Way of the Superior Man, and he's got some other ones called Blue Truth and things like that, where he talks a lot about gender dynamics. Now, I don't, agree, I'm about to tell you why I don't agree with him fully, but I, he, his core conceits are really powerful. And for me, what I realized was, as I'm more masculine energy than feminine energy. And what I was living in was mostly in my feminine energy. And so I was getting into dynamics with women who were maybe more wanting to be more in their feminine. And I wasn't allowing them to be in the feminine because I didn't know how to embody my masculine. And so I had to go on a journey of learning about masculine energy and then embodying it and practicing it. And what it allowed for, for me was knowing how to go into one extreme or the other going 
pretty far into my masculine or pretty far into my feminine. Um, and the trick there was uh, in the journey of doing that, um, maybe I lost a little bit of my, um, truth or my like uniqueness because I was in, I was playing the character or the role of masculine to figure out how to, how to do that. Or if you're a woman, you might need to go and figure out how to be really feminine. So you understand how to play into that energy in that role. Um, and that after I went through that process, that created the ability to have polarity. So if I'm more in my masculine and someone's more in their feminine, I'm playing that role. There's going to be, um, just like, um, with electricity, you have to have a sort of a negative and a positive charge. And the energy flow between those is where you get the, the power comes from the energy flow between two poles. And so the same thing here, you have to have two poles or polarity to have the attraction flowing. And so that was a huge um, place that I started. And I want to tell a little bit, I'll pause there, because I think you both probably have some thoughts on this. But I also have sort of like tips for how to not get stuck as you sort of embody those things. Yeah, I really, I really like that. It seems just what it's such a theme. Balance is everything is a balance here, and um, so what I what I hear, what I feel like I hear you hear you saying is um, that it, this isn't related to our physical bodies because anybody, regardless of sex or gender, can uh, be in their masculine or their feminine. So it's actually more of like an energetic. Um, way of being or, or uh, and that we kind of travel all over there. But um, when it comes to love or sex or um, romantic relationships, that there is this dance, but and in within this dance, we're kind of usually navigating where there's um, where all of those energies are there when one person is strong and they're feminine, the other one is strong and they're masculine and vice versa. Absolutely. And, you know, the, the truth of it is with people who are more feminine identified energy wise, they want you to come to them and, and take control and bring it. And if you're sort of attracted, but you're not confident enough or don't know how to step into that energy, you have two people sort of in the receptive space and there's no one to go into more of that um, forceful, direct, penetrative energy. And so there's not that polarity that happens. And, you know, that was my experience in my past was not having the confidence to step into that and the groundedness to step into that. And so there's a lot of situations that could have been beautiful and gone into a uh, dynamic. I remember when I was um, this is a really old story, but I went uh, I would go camping every year with my family. And I had sort of my first love, my puppy love when I was a teenager. And we, we really were into each other. And we got to a place where we're like laying in a tent alone, just the two of us on pillows on like the same pillow, like inches from each other's face. And I was so anxious and afraid of making a move that we just stayed there almost like nose to nose for probably like 25 minutes. And then I just never made a move. Mm -hmm. And you could feel how disappointed she was. She was ready, so ready for me to make the move and to receive that. But I had to step in the energy and I just didn't know how. And the pain and the confusion on her face and later and also how that shifted the dynamic was really, it still is like tattooed into my soul. And it took me many years after that to learn how to do it. But that that shift to being able to take on that role when you need to is, is so important. But what I find when people step into this work, I just want to say this to anyone who is doing any sort of like masculine or feminine work is in often we have to go to more of an extreme to learn and people end up so far in their masculine that they they lose their natural balance. And, and so there's sort of a swing back to a more um, sort of uh, ratioed amount of masculine and feminine. And I would say for me, I'm probably 60 percent masculine, 40 percent feminine. So that's really important because it helps you actually maybe choose a reciprocal partner that's going to be able to play with you properly. So if you're naturally very, very masculine or very, very feminine, you probably want someone who's 
very feminine, um, or if you're very feminine, you want someone who's very masculine. But if you're more balanced, you might want someone who's more balanced. And I've found that once I've been doing that, I've been pulling in partners who are more on the androgynous side, women who have a lot of masculine in their mix, even if they're probably more feminine um, on the on balance. Mm, yeah. That, yeah, I, I I love that. I think we talked about that in a past podcast a little bit, but you just really broke it down in a very, um, very easy to understand way. That was really, really well done. And I think that our, our listeners are going to love that nugget. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you said you had some tools. So I want we actually need to wrap it up in a moment. So do you have any uh, last tools that you would like to share with our listeners? Uh, that in regards to this this journey of yours to uh, I think you, I don't know if it was related to this this piece about masculine and feminine but to be your most awesome sexual being that you are <laughs> yes totally I, I would say that um, the first one that I see a lot with guys is um, spilling the energy uh, get excited you're into someone and you your energy is just like just pouring out of you all over the person. And it's a really, it's an intense experience on the other end. It's a lot for them to handle. So I would just say for, for men to practice, especially, or masculine uh, people, or even people who are just really excited. I think women are like, actually women, it's both. Actually, now I'm thinking about it. I've coached men and women on this. Um, and a lot of women uh, have a challenge with this, is learning to flirt with your eyes and containing your energy mm. and trusting that a little goes a long way. A little bit of flirting and play and showing that will let someone know. And if they're interested, there's going to be sort of a circuit created where it will build naturally rather than feeling like you have to like really prove to them or show them that you're interested. Mm, I like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Less is more people. Less is more. <laughs> <laughs> Except when you're a stripper so, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Legs out, baby. Legs out. And then I would say like, honestly, get better. Like if there is, if you're not feeling super, super confident in your technique um, with touch and pressure and things, Work on that because then you'll feel very confident and there won't be that anxiety or nervousness when you go to actually bridge the connection physically. So if maybe take a massage course um, is something that I think is a really powerful tool because you learn how to touch and listen to bodies um, sensationally. You like listen to the sensations in your own body and the other bodies. And I think listening has been one of the key themes, right? So like listening so much to signals physically um, is a big key. And so get better in your technique that will sh allow you to actually guide that experience. And then also listen to the the signals um, that are coming from someone, whether they're interested or not. That's a huge one as well. Mm -hmm. Note to self people. And I like, I really like that you're, um, that this, this is, this is your journey and you identify as um, what you use he, he, him pronouns. And you're saying that this applies to, to everyone, anyone and everyone. I like that that um that distinction that this is something that if there's any truth here regardless of your sex or gender that, that this is speaking to you then there's some really great tools here for you um yeah one more thing can yeah. i say one more thing yeah if, if you are not enjoying yourself in in your sexual dynamic if you're not laughing some of the time and like having these like open rolling experiences of like tumbling around and laughing and, and play. And then you can move into a sexier space. You can move into a loving space. Just remember to have sex in your love and love in your sex. Yeah. And you can like play that. with that ratio. I think that's like, just make it fun. And if it's not fun, have the confidence to pause and, and say, what's not working here? And ask your, it's a continual inquiry and a question. Ask yourself, what would make it fun right now? Do we need to go a little bit more into like lightening it up for a moment? Or do we need to take it a little bit heavier and deeper and darker?